0: We're talking about spiritual disciplines. Uh, We have been for the past several weeks. That's kind of what we're focusing on over the summer. Um, And today we're talking about Sabbath. And one of the most beautiful invitations that Jesus offers us in all of Scripture, in my opinion, is the invitation to rest in Him. Matthew chapter 11, He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can't think of a a more timely invitation that the Lord could give us in this generation than the invitation to rest because we are a culture of workaholics who idolize productivity. I don't use that term lightly. I believe our culture idolizes productivity, and not just the culture outside of the church, but the culture within the church as well. Our minds are are more exhausted now than ever in history. Our bodies, perhaps not. Previous generations have had a different kind of exhaustion. Working the fields, few of us work the fields um, the way our previous generations uh, did um, by and large, and that's a physical kind of exha- exhaustion. But what we have today is a new kind of exhaustion. It's emotional. It's a it's a it's a spiritual and uh, and mental exhaustion because we're taking in more content and information on a daily, hourly, uh, minutely is that a word basis than people ever have in the history of the world, and it is exhausting. And I know you feel it too because I talk to people about it and I know that it's it's not unique to me. We are an exhausted people. So Jesus offers us this invitation to rest and the question that we need to be asking is, okay, how do I access that gift that he's offering me? How do I find the rest that Jesus is extending? And so my answer to that, as to all things, is look to Jesus for the answers. And when we look at Jesus... And we look at the way he lived and the things that he taught, it doesn't take us long before our eyes are cast upon Sabbath as something that has tremendous significance in, spirit, in our spiritual life. Um, it's the day that God provides for us to allow our hearts and our minds to be present um, to Jesus and to the Spirit and to all the gifts that they've placed in our lives. Now, most of us are most familiar, most familiar with Sabbath as the way it's expressed in the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, where it says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your sons or your daughters, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, And all that's in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Okay, so that's where we're most where most people are familiar with the concept of the Sabbath. But what I want you to understand is this isn't just a relic of the Old Testament law. It goes back further than that to creation. So we're going to do a little survey of the, of the Bible and what the Bible says about Sabbath throughout. And it all begins at creation. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates the world. On the sixth day, he creates Adam and Eve. And on day 7, it's a day of rest. So I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way, but the very first day of Adam and Eve's existence was a day of rest. And A.J. Swoboda is a, is a theologian and pastor, I believe in Portland, uh, I'm drawing a blank there. But he has, a, he has a wonderful book that I've been reading through called um, Subversive Sabbath. And one thing he points out is that this is probably the first glimpse in all of Scripture of the gospel, the basic message of the gospel. He, they were created, and the very first day of their existence, before they had worked at all, before they had done anything to, quote-unquote, earn the rest, God gives it to them out of his love. That's the picture of the gospel. God always extends to us rest before we're expected to work. He extends us the offer of rest, the offer of blessing, the offer of, um, of joy. And he says, I made this. This is good. This creation that I've placed you in, it's good. So enjoy it. Before you do anything else, enjoy what I've made and what I've surrounded you with. That's the gospel. So, so the Sabbath didn't just come with the, with the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. It literally is built into creation. We were created to need rest. We were created to need rest. And so to, sab, to, to, to not Sabbath, to not rest in a, in a planned and intentional way, is to live a genetically modified life. It's to live a life that's separated from what we were created to be. So Sabbath is built into the very created order. Secondly, Sabbath was reinforced in the Exodus from Egypt. Okay, So this is still before the Ten Commandments are given. So you have Adam and Eve created, then there's a lot of history that takes place. People go into slavery in Egypt, and of course when you're slaves, you don't get to choose when you work and when you don't, so it's kind of out of their hands. But then they're, uh, they're rescued from slavery by God. And one of the first things he does after they leave Egyptian slavery is he reminds them to keep the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 16 is the, is the story when manna falls from heaven. The people don't know where they're going to get their food. God says, I'm going to provide for you. He sends manna from heaven. They don't know what this substance is, but, they're going to, but, but it sustains them, and they eat it. And, and he sends it every day to them, and he tells them, gather only enough for one day. And some of them, aren't, they don't trust that message well enough. They don't know where they're going to find their next meal, so they, so they try to gather more, but everything beyond one day's worth that they gather ends up rotting away. God only provides for them one day at a time. He's teaching them to rely on him. But then he says, on the sixth day, you can gather two days worth because nothing's coming down on the seventh day for you. I don't want you out there gathering. I don't want you out there working to to gather your food on the seventh day because the seventh is a Sabbath. But there were some people who were still anxious the way we get. I don't know what if it doesn't come. I need need food to feed my family and myself. So there's some of them that still went out there on the seventh day to collect their manna. And as God promised, there was none there. But when they came back to camp, Moses was scolded by the Lord for it. And in Exodus chapter 16, verses 28 through 30, God says, How much longer are you going to disobey my commands and instructions? Look, I've given you the Sabbath as a day of rest. That's why I give you an extra portion of food on the sixth day. Everyone should stay where they are and not go out to work on the seventh day. So the people did as God directed and rested on the seventh day. So it's a a principle of creation. And as soon as the people have freedom to act upon their own, God reminds them this is something you need. This is a gift that I've provided for you, a day of rest. Rely on me and enjoy the day of rest that I'm offering you. Okay, so this is still before the law, but then not long after that, they get to Mount Sinai, and the law is delivered. Okay, he delivers the Ten Commandments, and of of all those Ten Commandments that we think about, the fourth is actually the longest of them. But it's interesting, when you look at the... There's two different places where the Ten Commandments are found. We mostly know Exodus 20 that I read before, but there's also Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's two different accounts of the giving of the law. But there's a couple of interesting things about the way it's worded when the Bible tells us how the fourth commandment was delivered. Um, In Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 11, he, he gives the reason behind the Sabbath. He tells them to remember the Sabbath day... For the eternal made the heavens above, the earth below, the seas, all the creatures in them in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. That's why he blessed the Sabbath day and made it sacred. So he points back to creation. He says, remember the Sabbath day because that's how the world was created. That's the way this place was meant to work. Okay? Interestingly, in Deuteronomy, he gives the same instruction. Don't work on the Sabbath day. Remember it. Observe the Sabbath day. Um, But in verses... uh, Let's see, verse 15 there. um, He says, remember what it was like when you were a slave in Egypt. Then with overwhelming power, I brought you out of there. That's why I've commanded you to observe the Sabbath day each week. So in Exodus 20, he says, observe it because that's the way the world was created. In Deuteronomy chapter five, he says, observe the Sabbath day because I rescued you and you need to remember that. This is how redemption works. You need to tell the story. You need to remember the story of what God's done for you and there needs to be a planned intentional way of doing that so there's the two accounts there and that's part of the Ten Commandments you know uh, Christianity we in a lot of ways we we fight for those Ten Commandments you know a lot of a lot of Christians take on political causes just for the purpose of making sure Ten Commandments can be can be uh, published anywhere and everywhere as a reminder of of, of the basics of morality there's a lot of evangelistic techniques that um, that are based on starting a conversation by reminding people of the Ten Commandments, and then once they realize the ones that they've broken, they realize they're a sinner, and then you try to lead them to Jesus through that. There's, there's a lot of historic ways that we've appealed to the Ten Commandments as being really, really, really important. But I've come to be convinced that we kind of give the Ten Commandments a little bit of, a, a little bit of credit when all we really believe in is Nine Commandments. Because they don't all matter in the same way to us, by and large. Because, you know, we wouldn't argue at all that idolatry is something Christians should not participate in. We need to obey that. Command. It's not a relic from the Old Testament past. It's not something Jesus nailed to the cross. Idolatry is still, still wrong. Honoring your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. All of these things. We would stand by those 100%. But when it comes to the Sabbath, suddenly we find ways to rationalize. And we'll say, Jesus nailed that to the cross. That's a part of the Old Testament law. That's not something we need to take as seriously. In fact, we even structure our churches around a hostility to the Sabbath, around breaking the Sabbath, because most pastors, I guarantee you, if Thad or Scott were to come in and we found out that they had been worshiping idols (laughs) or committing adultery or stealing or anything like this, they wouldn't be pastors much longer. Hopefully, we would be pastoral towards them and try to lead them back to the Lord, but they probably wouldn't be pastors much longer. But in a lot of churches, if a pastor breaks the Sabbath, they're probably getting a raise, they're much more productive they're going to get a lot more done with that extra day of the week to work on and so you end up having a lot of pastors that get burnt out and don't stick stick with ministry for very long because there is no rest so we structure our churches around breaking the sabbath i don't know that it's intentional but it's cultural we it's we 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 have taken on the values of the culture that surrounds us in the church but it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's no less important than any of the others. Um, so throughout the Torah, throughout the law, there's, there's explanations given as to what this looks like to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so there's, there's instructions telling them that they can give sacrifices, they can sing psalms, they can even, uh, the royal guard can be changed during on the Sabbath. But nobody's to gather food, nobody's to plow or reap. No one's to start fires. No one's to chop wood. There's, there's some specifics given throughout the, throughout the law on how the Sabbath is to be, to be remembered. And in Exodus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 15, we even find out that the Sabbath extends not just to, the hu- to humans and what we need, but it's something, since it's a part of the created order, it's something that nature needs as well. Because in in those two chapters, um, we find out that every seven years, the fields are to be given a sabbatical year. Even nature, even the creation needs rest. And so they're instructed to do that. So it's a part of creation. It was a part of, of, of the life of God's people prior to the giving of the law. It's a part of the law that was given. And it's a part of what the prophets taught as well. In fact, the prophets in the Old Testament invoked the fourth commandment more than any other commandment, any other of the Ten Commandments. They referenced the fourth commandment more than any other as they encouraged Israel to repent and to turn to God and and to do all the things that a prophet was sent to do. A couple of examples. Ezekiel chapter 20. God, through the prophet Ezekiel, says, I gave them my laws and my commandments so that if they would follow them, they might live. I also gave them my Sabbaths as a sign that they would know that I, the Eternal One, have made them holy. Now notice what he did there. He put on equal footing all the law law and commandments as one entity and the Sabbath. So he lumps all of them in once, but he feels the need to mention the Sabbath separate from all the others as a special thing that they need to focus on. So he equates the Sabbath to all of God's other commandments. Jeremiah, it was a really long quote, so I didn't didn't include it as a slide, but Jeremiah chapter 17, about half of the chapter, Jeremiah is telling them that the fate of Israel depends on their ability to keep the Sabbath. And then Isaiah chapter 58, there's a similar message that's being given. Isaiah, or God through the prophet Isaiah says, if you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he paints the picture there of Sabbath being the primary decree of God. Um, And it's linked to the salvation of their nation. So it's not not an incidental command to anyone throughout the Old Testament scriptures. It's something that was at the very core of who they were as a people and of what they need as created beings. So that's the Old Testament. That's the story that Jesus inherits. But by the time Jesus comes along, new meaning needed to be given to the Sabbath because it had gotten off track. Okay? So in the first four gospels telling the li- the story of the life of Christ, the Sabbath is mentioned almost 50 times. The Sabbath is mentioned in the gospel accounts more than in the entire five books of the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay? When we think of the Sabbath being discussed, we t- typically think about the Old Testament, those first five books. It's talked about more in the first four books of the New Testament than in the first five of the Old. Okay? So by the time Jesus came along, Sabbath was Um, it was a bit of a litmus test for who was pleasing to God and who wasn't. Um, In Jesus' day, the Jewish leaders were debating constantly what it meant to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And what they had done is they had come up with a legal code, uh, which isn't surprising if you know much about the Pharisees, but they had come up with a legal code about what it meant to keep the Sabbath day holy or what it meant to rest on the Sabbath day. And they had 39 classes of prohibited actions on the Lord's, uh, on on, on Sabbath, uh, on the Sabbath. Um, They were actions like sowing, plowing, reaping, gathering into sheaves, threshing, winnowing, cleansing, grinding, sifting, kneading, and the list list goes on and on. There's 39 of these categories. Most of them are derived directly from the Old Testament scriptures. But then the questions arise, okay, but what really qualifies as um, sowing or plowing? How do we really define that? And so each one of those 39 categories, they had elaborated on even further to the point where they had about 700 things that were prohibited from being engaged on in the Sabbath by the the cultural laws that they had established for the Jewish people, okay? 700 things a Jew couldn't do on the Sabbath. Here's a few examples. Of course, there was a prohibition against plowing. That was one of the 39 categories, but they interpreted that to mean that you couldn't spit on the ground because when your spit lands, it may move the dirt on the ground. Seriously, which would be, I guess, some sort of micro plowing. Um, (laughs) Women were forbidden to look into a mirror on the Sabbath because they might see a gray hair and pull it out. That would be work. Um, More work for some than others probably. Even walking through the grass wasn't allowed. Because some of the grass might get bent or broken as you stepped on it, which was threshing, which was a forbidden category. And the list could go on and on, but those are just a few examples. So with all of these rules, it would make it very difficult for Jesus to really carry on a ministry, um, at least on the Sabbath day. So to the Pharisees, they looked at Jesus and the things that he was doing, and they thought he was very light. He did not honor the Sabbath day because he didn't follow all these rules that they had set forth to define what honoring the Sabbath day looked like, okay? He regularly used the Sabbath to declare the coming kingdom and to work miracles in people's lives. He healed on the Sabbath. He taught on the Sabbath. He cast out demons on the Sabbath. He, um, He allowed his disciples to pluck ears of corn on the Sabbath. And that was one that really, really upset them. One of their primary outrages uh, was when he said in Mark chapter 2, see here, there we go. He said in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So even more than his actions, one thing that really outraged them was the fact that he was challenging the very system of Sabbath observance that they had created. Because the first part of that verse says the the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. That's saying all of these rules are enslaving people as if we were here to answer to the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was given to us as a gift from God to enrich our lives, to strengthen us, to, to, to help our walk with God. So the first part of that says that. And then the second part of that verse He says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, he really didn't like that because he was referring to himself when he said that. He says, I'm I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So he addresses the way that they had misused and abused the Sabbath, but he never broke the Sabbath. He never revoked the Sabbath as if it were an old dead tradition. His words and actions indicate uh, consistently that the Spirit of the the law holds. The spirit, the principle of needing Sabbath rest that was a part of how the world was created at the very beginning, that principle holds. In fact, the very first mention in Jesus's life of Sabbath in scripture is in Luke chapter four, says when Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. Okay, So if you're wanting to know how to access the rest that Jesus offered, look at the life that Jesus lived. And his custom, his, his normal way of acting on a, on a day-to-day basis was to observe Sabbath. Okay, So Jesus observed the Sabbath, but he didn't leave it the way it was. Because when Jesus touches something, it's never the way it was before. After he touches it. So when Jesus comes, he's observing Sabbath, but he gives it a new, higher meaning. Because now that the Messiah has come, Sabbath now points in two directions. Previously, the Sabbath was all about looking back to creation and looking back to the Exodus, looking back to when God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. Now, We still look back at creation and we still look back to our redemption and to all the stories of God rescuing us from from various types of bondage. But now, because of Jesus, we're now able to, on the Sabbath, look forward to the rest and the peace that we're going to have in Christ when he returns as well. So he took Sabbath and he made it better. He made it deeper and he gave it a higher meaning. So that's a, that's a kind of a, a look quickly at what the, what the scriptures say about Sabbath, okay? But the question that always comes up is, all right, how do I do it? What do, what do, what do I do? If I wanted to adopt this as a spiritual discipline, discipline in my life, how would I do it? And of course, Jewish scholars have debated for centuries what should and shouldn't uh, be a part of Sabbath. Um, and I like what Dorothy Bass has said, and she kind of summarizes The common denominator, at the most basic level, this is um, how we would define it. What should not be done is work. Defining exactly what that means is a long and continuing argument. But one classic answer is that work is whatever requires changing the natural, material world. All week long, human beings wrestle with the natural world, tilling and hammering and carrying and burning. On the Sabbath, however... Jews let it be. They celebrate it as it is and live in it in peace and gratitude. Humans are created too, after all. And in gratefully receiving the gift of the world, they learn to remember that it is not finally human effort that grows the grain and forges the steel. By extension, all activities associated with work or commerce are also prohibited. You're not even supposed to think about them, okay? So that's kind of a summary of where, you know, there's, there's a lot of debate that, that comes out from that within Jewish circles and even now within Christian circles, but that's the basic. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're supposed to, you're supposed to have an escape from the things of the world so that you can focus on the things of, of deeper meaning and of more eternal value, okay? So instead of, instead of work and all those things, the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of worship and prayer, and family time, and naps, and walks, and food, and goodness, all right? Because the truth is, no matter what happens, Jesus is still Lord. You might think, if I stop doing things on the Sabbath, if I stop checking my work email, and if I stop, stop uh, doing my grocery shopping or mowing the yard on, on, on Sabbath, then what's going to happen? You just can't imagine how that's going to change your life. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what happens, Jesus is still Lord, The world running doesn't depend on you. Even your own world running doesn't depend on you. So practicing Sabbath is actually practicing faith because it's casting our eyes back upon the one that's guiding the process. In the same book, but in a different place, Dorothy Bass says, to act as if the world cannot get along without our work for one day in seven is a startling display of pride that denies the sufficiency of our generous maker pretty direct, but I think she's right. All right, so that's the basic level of of kind of how to understand what Sabbath is. Let me kind of tell you what a traditional Sabbath might look like um, in a traditional traditional household. Officially, Sabbath would begin on Friday night at dusk when the appearance of the first stars appears in the sky. Um, And Traditionally, the, the family would usher in the Sabbath by lighting two candles. They would kind of welcome it. They would, they would have two candles. Perhaps at, the, perhaps at a dinner table, they'll set two candles up. And the reason for the two candles is a couple, there's a couple of reasons. It separates the Sabbath from the previous day because there's no other day of the week that you're lighting candles. So it, it's a visual symbol that this day is different. Something different is happening. And by the way, it starts in the evening because the way the Jews kept time, the day starts in the evening and ends in the evening. It's different from the way we typically think of things. But it starts in the evening. You light the two candles. It separates the Sabbath from the previous day. But also the two candles symbolize the two ways that God delivered the command to observe the Sabbath day. One of the passages in, in, um, in Exodus 20, it says to remember. One, so one candle symbolizes remembrance. And the other in Deuteronomy 5, it says to observe the Sabbath. So it's an observation. So it reminds that there's two ways that God delivered the command. So they usher in the Sabbath day with these candles, and then they prepare a special meal. And it's customary to make, it, to make it a joyful, celebratory occasion. They may even dress nicely, even within their own family. They dress up for this meal to welcome the Sabbath into their homes. Okay, And then, of course, it's a patriarchal society. So the head of the household, which would be the, 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 the dad or the husband of the house, comes and blesses his family by praying over them and uh, ministering to them and encouraging them in their spiritual walk of faith. Okay, So he speaks actual words, intentional words of blessing over his family. Okay, And a lot, of, a lot of Messianic Jewish families, these are Jews who practice Jewish customs, but they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they've also started adding communion as a family as a part of this meal welcoming the Sabbath, either as a part of it or afterwards. They'll, they'll take bread and wine and they'll, and they'll observe communion as well. And the night might end with Bible reading or Bible study or with songs of praise or dancing or uh, some way of expressing joy to the creator who gives us the gift of rest on Sabbath. And then the next day is a day of family and nature and enjoyment and love. Okay, That's a kind of a picture of what a traditional Sabbath might look like. Now let me tell you what a borshiting Sabbath looks like. <laughs> Not exactly the same. So we try to do a lot of preparation on Friday and Saturday. Um, I'll, I, it's, it's kind of ironic that I'm t- preaching this sermon today because we've had about three weeks where our preparation has been terrible. And so therefore our Sabbath has been terrible <laughs> on, a, on a scale, you know, we haven't, it could be worse, but, um, but we, haven't, we haven't gotten the meaning out of Sabbath that we could. Because we haven't prepared adequately for the day, we've scheduled things and forgotten that it was going to interfere with our ability to rest, and we've uh, we've we've had travel plans that we just it just was not a part of our thought process when we were making travel plans, and so I'm three weeks into not really having a good full Sabbath, but we try to use Saturdays as a day of preparation where we get everything done. Uh, So that we won't have to, we observe Sabbath on a Sunday, by the way, not on Saturday. Um, I know some people, the guy that taught me the most about Sabbath observes it on a Wednesday because that's the day that works best for his family. I don't think the day matters. I think it's the principle built into creation. But it's Sunday for us. And so we prepare on Saturday. We try to get all the grocery shopping done at least enough to get us through the weekend. I try to make sure I get the, the yard mowed on Saturday so I don't have to worry about it on Sunday. Um, try to make sure the kids get the homework get their homework done so that on Sundays we can be together and we can rest and we can enjoy the things, the gifts that God's given us in, in our lives. So it all starts with preparation. And then uh, Saturday dinner, we like to begin our Sabbath at, on Saturday dinner. So we try to put the cell phones away um, as much as we're able to whenever we plan, plan well enough. We try to have a, a nice dinner on Saturday to, to welcome the Sabbath. One thing we want to start doing more is inviting, inviting people to share in that with us as we welcome the Sabbath as a part of community with others. So we try to do that on Saturday night. Um, and then Sunday morning uh, is a day uh, to sleep in as much as possible. Audrey does not typically allow us to sleep in very long. So when Audrey wakes up, I wake up. I let Abby sleep and of course, I mean, I let let Elisa sleep and Abby, of course, she's a teenager, so she can sleep until we decide to wake her up. She can, that girl can sleep with the best of them. Um, But she, uh, so we all wake up, uh, have brunch together. So Audrey wakes me up and we start fixing brunch together. I know that's, that's, that's against the traditional rules of Sabbath to cook, but that's not my normal job. That's not something that is typically my role in our family even. In fact, I am forbidden to be in the kitchen on most days because things don't go well when I start messing around in the kitchen. But I can make a brunch, all right? So this morning we had biscuits and gravy uh, some mornings we'll have, you know, the biggest pancakes we can make with as much syrup on them as we can put. We'll do eggs and sausage and, and biscuit. We'll do, we'll do whatever we want to make sure that our Sunday brunch is really good, really savory, and really memorable. And I'll tell you the reason why I did that. A.J. Swoboda, I mentioned him earlier, uh, wrote this book called Subversive Sabbath, He he talked about a Jewish tradition that he heard about where the the father of a family would get up early on Sabbath morning and give all of his children a spoonful of honey. And the reason he did that was so that the children would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. So he'd always give them something sweet to taste. It becomes a sensory observation of the goodness of Sabbath. Now, all the meals that we prepare aren't, uh, aren't, aren't sugary and sweet. Some of them are when we have those pancakes with the syrup, that qualifies. But we try to, we try to prepare meals uh, and a breakfast to start uh, that Sunday morning that, that's good and it's enjoyable to all of us. Uh, what A.J. Swoboda says is his, his goal is for his children, when they get old and gray, for their mouths to still drool when they hear the word Sabbath like a Pavlovian response that they, he's so ingrained in them that the Sabbath is a gift and the Sabbath is full of goodness and blessing that all of their senses engage in that, uh, in that blessing. So we do that in the morning. We have brunch uh, throughout the day. We, we might fix a big brunch, but we don't do the dishes. We let the dishes pile up. We don't travel for commerce or for work. Okay. We don't go out to eat on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoons. We, we don't uh, I don't. I don't go to work unless there's a ministry need at work. Uh, we don't. We don't go to the grocery store. We don't do any of that on Sunday. We don't travel. We travel to church. Um, sometimes we'll go on. A, you know, we we might decide to go on a, a a drive just to see the country or something like that. But we don't travel for commerce or for work. Um, we we read. We watch shows to and, and listen to music together. We don't go off into our separate corners and listen to. You know, Abby's got her headphones on in a room, and I've got my music playing in here, and somebody else is in the other room watching a show. We we try to do it together as much as possible, Um, but we might go on a walk or play games, but we don't hesitate to take individual time and go off in solitude or silence if that's what we need as well. The point is to do whatever's necessary so that all of our senses can engage in whatever gifts God has placed before us today without the distractions that hit us every other day of the week. And then we end our Sabbath day by worshiping with you. This is how we end our Sundays. And then we go out to eat uh, as an end to our Sabbath observance after, after supper each, each Sunday, or after, after church each Sunday, all right? So that's what it looks like in our house when we do it well. But I'll tell you, we rarely do it well. <laughs> we forget about things, we don't plan properly, but we do what we can. But let me tell you a few practical things to remember. It's not easy. It's countercultural. It runs against the way that everybody else does things that you're around. The people you look up to in your job, the people, that, the people in your family that, that, are, that are wanting to, to reach you and, and plan certain activities and stuff. There are very few people in your life that are going to be uh, in sync with this kind of schedule. All right, so it's countercultural and that makes it difficult. For most of us, weekends are when we go shop, go mow the yard, pay the bills, do some important things that need to be done. And bringing this into your family can cause some difficulties because people have to get used to it. All right, to say, we're not gonna do the Saturday or the, we're not gonna do the, the, the soccer games on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day you choose. We're not gonna, we're not gonna let you have a part-time job that, uh, that has you working on whatever day we've set aside as our Sabbath. You know, to make those kinds of decisions, um, can cause some difficulty and it can cause struggle, but I'll tell you, it's the best kind of struggle for your soul because it's a struggle with the way of the world versus the way of Jesus. Okay, so it's not easy. Be prepared for that. Secondly, and I've already alluded to this, prepare for the Sabbath. Having a meaningful Sabbath has less to do with what you actually do or don't do on the day than with how much you actually put into preparation to make sure that the day is available to you. Okay. If you don't plan adequately to get the grocery shopping done, to make sure your emails are all responded to and whatever else, if you don't do the, act, the, the active preparation for it, then what's going to happen is you're going to get up on your Sabbath day and you're going to remember, oh, yeah, I forgot to respond to that email. And you're going you're to respond to that email. That's have to remind you of one other thing. And then you're going to go to the cupboard and realize, oh, yeah, we didn't go shopping today. So we, we need to go get that milk or the kids aren't going to have anything for you know, tomorrow or whatever. And before long, your Sabbath day is shot because you haven't prepared adequately. So you have to make sure you put the time into preparing. Okay? Next, don't beat yourself up. You will fail. <laughs> you will. That's what that's one of the things about Christian disciplines, spiritual disciplines. They remind us of how inadequate we are and they point us to the one who is adequate for us. But we still do them. We work out our, our spiritual muscles in these ways. John Gay is, is an Old Testament scholar, a professor at Fuller Seminary. And he has a concept um, that he describes, in, or he talks about a concept in the Bible called, that he calls the ideal and condescension. The ideal and condescension. And the idea is that God always gives us the ideal picture of something in the Bible. God shows us what the ideal uh, picture of sexuality is or society or marriage. He he paints paints these ideal pictures for us. But the truth is that those ideals are always gonna be beyond us and we never meet them. But God knows that we're never gonna meet them because he knows that we're created uh, with weaknesses and, 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 and that we're sinful people. So all God asks is that we seek his ideal. And we pursue his ideal. And then as we seek God's ideal, God meets us there in our seeking. He condescends to our level to meet us in that pursuit. Okay? So the spiritual disciplines, like Sabbath, they show us our weaknesses. Because there's an ideal out there that we never meet up to. If you're not doing work, you're thinking about work even though you try not to. Okay, but God meets us even in our imperfect Sabbaths. So I'll tell you, I told you the last three weeks have been about as weak as my Sabbath observance has been. God has still met me in the midst of the moments when we're trying. We're trying to pursue rest. I'm, I'm actively choosing to set the cell phone aside and engage with my children. And in those moments, God meets me, even if the rest of the day, I've been, I've been doing a really bad job of it. So don't beat yourself up and the failures, understand that God is still there with you in the midst of it. And there's one other point that I wasn't sure where to place this in the sermon, but, but I think it's an important point to make. And it's the question of whether this conversation is a conversation born out of privilege. What about the poor people? What about the single mom of five kids who works two or three jobs just to put food on their plates? I don't want this to, to, to cause people to beat themselves up because look, I'm doing the best I can to provide for myself and I can't take a day You say it's God's created will for me and I can't do it. So the question is, is this this conversation, is this whole lesson something that's born out of privilege because I'm at a station in life where I can, when I try, take a day to devote to God? And I've got a a couple of responses to that. First of all, the Sabbath has to be embodied by people in power. Okay? And here's why. Because the poor are not going to be able to Sabbath until the people in power are first willing to. And my example, my illustration for that would be Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, McCoy's, and other companies like them. You, You may have different opinions on what they do politically or anything else, but one thing you can say about those organizations is that they lose billions of dollars so that people can go home and rest one day a week. So somebody in a position of power has said, I'm willing to make less money to support people being able to be at home. Okay, so the poor are not going to be able to Sabbath until people in power are first willing to do so. So that's the first point. The second point I want to make is that the minute Sabbath becomes a new law, it stops being Sabbath. If it becomes a law that enslaves us and burdens us and doesn't gift us with, with blessing, then we don't understand it. Because the Sabbath is not meant to enslave people that are already suffering. It's meant to be a blessing to us. So if that single mother of five who's working two or three jobs says, look, I can't do it. I can get, I can maybe give two two hours a week, but that's about all I can squeeze out. Then what I'm going to say is you do two hours a week and God will meet you there in your Sabbath. You do what you can and God will always meet you. All right. Next point. The Sabbath is a day of delight. It's a day of of rest, but that doesn't mean it's a day of sitting around, twiddling your thumbs, thinking godly thoughts, right? It's a day of joy and delight and celebration. The verse that we looked at a a second ago in Isaiah 58, uh, verses 13 and 14, he says, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and then later on he says, then you shall take delight in the Lord. So the Sabbath is given to us to be a delight to us. It's a a day that's supposed to be full of joy. Um, uh, What's his name? Uh, Dan Allender. Uh, he, he talks about how the Sabbath is a day that's to be a day of sensual abandon when we're reveling in our God-given senses, the sense of taste, eat good food, the sense of smell and touch, get out in nature and experience the world that God's given you as a gift in a way that you're not able to other days of the week. Make a point to do that. The sense of, uh, the feeling of love, the feeling of togetherness and family, the feeling of uh, all of these all of these sensory and emotional um, uh parts of us that God has built within us that we don't have time and we don't have the bandwidth to engage in on a regular basis, you do it on Sabbath. Okay? It's a day when we try to live out what life is going to be like in the eternal Sabbath with God. For some people, that may mean fishing or reading or writing. For other people, it'll look different, but it's a day of delight. And then the last thing, and this this is as important as anything else, don't get legalistic about this. Okay, that's where people from the beginning of time have ruined Sabbath is by getting legalistic about it towards one another. As Paul said some really, really important things about, about this. In Romans chapter 14, Paul said, There may be a believer who regards one day as more sacred than any other, while another views every day as sacred as the next. And these matters all must reach their own conclusions and satisfy their own minds. If someone observes a day as holy, he observes it in honor of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, Don't let anyone stand in judgment over you and dictate what you should eat or drink, what festivals you should celebrate, or how you should observe a new moon or Sabbath days. All these are only a shadow of what shall come. The reality, the core, the import is found in the anointed one. Okay? So while we need to agree, we need to understand that the scriptures teach the Sabbath is a part of how you were created. It's a part of the created order, part of the created world. And and it's a gift that God is extending to you and offering to you. I want us to all embrace that. At the same time, we can't insist on one day over another day. There's been debate after debate after debate. Can it be on Sunday for Christians or Saturday or Wednesday or any day of the week? And people get very emotional about these things. But Paul is clear. We can't insist on one day over another. We can't build laws Uh, around Sabbath by which we judge one another's faithfulness to God. We can't do those things. But we need to embrace the gift of rest that God extends to us in the way he created the world and try to engage with that gift. So like a lot of spiritual practice, at first, when you first start thinking about Sabbath, it feels like it's all about the things that you're giving up. Okay, But in the end, it actually becomes a priceless gift that God gives us. It becomes an addition, not a subtraction because we're adding into our lives the ability to more deeply engage with love and joy and peace and kindness and faithfulness and all the fruit of the Spirit. So in a world of distraction and exhaustion, if the church could learn how to rest, we could easily become a place unlike what people experience anywhere else in their world. We could become Uh, an oasis, a city on a hill, a salt salt of the the earth. We could become something that's different and that provides something that people long for if we could learn ourselves how to rest. And I'm absolutely convinced that if we learn how to do Sabbath well as a people, it can become one of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have simply because nobody around us knows how. All right? So I'm gonna close with one final quote. I wasn't sure where to fit it in, but I really liked it. Jürgen Moltmann, German theologian, he says, the Sabbath opens creation for its true future. On the Sabbath, the redemption of the world is celebrated in anticipation. The Sabbath is itself the presence of eternity in time and a foretaste of the world to come. Pray with me. God, we love you. You are good to us. You are gift us in so many ways. You've given us relationships of love. You've given us, um, you've given us a world of beauty. You've given us time in our days to nurture ourselves. But God, so often we, we look at the gifts that you're extending to us and we turn and walk the other direction and we don't always understand why. And so I pray that as we look at the gift that you're extending to us of rest, that we will see it that we will understand how deeply we need the gift of Sabbath and that we will wrap our arms around it and engage with it and understand the true beauty of the gift that you offer. Give us your rest and give us your peace. In Jesus' name we pray.